listening to VC Land, a podcast featuring leading VCs and investors who take us through their investment strategies, portfolio companies, what they like to look for in founders, sectors that are hot, what makes them finally invest, strategies for exit, whether companies should stay private or public, and tips and tactics for companies looking to work with VCs. Welcome to VC Land. On today's episode of VC Land, our guest is Victor Zhang, the managing partner and founder of global VC firm Sapien Ventures. It's a business that does investments in Australia and New Zealand, the United States and China. Victor Zhang, welcome to VC Land. Hi, Justin. It's great to be here. Victor, let's begin with Sapien Ventures. Uh, Tell us about the fund. Sure. Um, So as mentioned, we are a Australian headquartered uh, multinational uh, venture capital um, funds management business. Uh, We have teams and and presence in Sydney, Melbourne, Silicon Valley, Shanghai. Uh, And uh, we like to think of ourselves as quite a focused um, uh, VC and and now a little bit of PE um, um, firm. we like to focus on sectors that we believe we have a, a deeper experience or understanding of, and, and these are predominantly in fintech, online marketplaces, uh, blockchain, and what we call enterprise B2B software. For example, um, enterprise-oriented uh, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, data analytics, and so on. So, so that's the specialty? Yeah. And who's on the team at Sapien with you? Well, we have 23 partners around the world and uh, uh, extensive um, what we call EIR advisory team, uh, that number in the high dozens uh, around the world. So our partners are usually um, former executives in either financial services or technology and or technology um, or um, seasoned investors uh, from across Silicon Valley and um, Australia and, and Asia. Um, and uh, we have weekly uh, calls with, with those partners um, uh, across those geographies every week. And our EIRs are people who are currently in positions of relevance or, or even influence to us, including major corporates and all the um, entrepreneurial community. Um, and they are spread around the world. And so what are some of the businesses that you currently have in the portfolio? Sure, we, we currently have about uh, just under two dozen portfolio companies spread um, predominantly uh, across Australia, well, mainly in Australia, but also a few US um, portfolio holdings and, and one in China so far, but eminently one to two in Southeast Asia, uh, quite likely in Indonesia, which I'm very excited to talk about in a moment. Um, our um, portfolio um Holdings range from, let's say, latest stage companies now, uh, such as um, Airtasker, which has grown phenomenally. I, I think mm. it's becoming a yep. bit of a household name in Australia. And um, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I use it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I, so do I, actually. And, and so do most of our team members. I think it has really, really alleviated a lot of the difficulties in, in um uh, sourcing um, uh, ad hoc contract labor uh, in a hyper-localized environment. And uh, it's uh, 
getting great traction across the UK and parts of Europe. Um, and the group reached uh, profitability earlier this year. So we're very, very excited about that. Um, um, so that will be the most, perhaps the, the, the larger scale, most mature um, of our portfolio um, yes. holdings. And then we have um, companies like Hashchin, which we first invested in mm-hmm. uh, 2016, which when we invested, uh, um, had very little traction in the mortgage brokerage uh, space um, and uh, as of uh, beginning of this year, they uh, their traction was um, 23.5 billion in originated mortgages and settlements of 1.35 billion, uh, mm. up from it's pretty much well. zero yeah. when, when we first invested. So we're quite pleased about that, and they um, gaining market share considerably now. Um, and then we have uh, a number of portfolio. Uh, companies in the blockchain space, um, uh, what we like to think uh, are pioneers, such as Civic Ledger, uh, with co-founder and CEO Katrina Donaghy as uh, one of the AFR-featured leaders uh, in in blockchain space, uh, and especially a female tech leader uh, for the country. And um, Civic Ledger has been able to win a number of industry accolades, both here in Australia, but even internationally. Uh, and she has presented as a uh, OECD in Paris, um, Asia Development Bank in Japan uh, and Hong Kong. And um, they have um, piloted a number of pretty, what we consider uh, groundbreaking projects with the likes of uh, the Australian um, National IP Registrar, IP Australia, in um, demonstrating and producing the world's first blockchain-based patent registry, uh, which is um, pretty exciting. And uh, they're now working with the Queensland state and federal government, uh, Department of Industry, on uh, creating the world's first uh, uh, entitlements registry for water entitlements trading. Uh, Yes, okay. We think that uh, initiatives like this will greatly help uh, alleviate a lot of the information asymmetries in uh, the water trading market, which has been extremely inefficient in Australia, uh, but it's worth $16 billion. Also controversial too. Very controversial because, you know, because of information um, asymmetry, farmers that really need water can't get them. And then upstream entitlement holders uh, have allowed critical water resources to be essentially evaporated or wasted during times of drought. So we think that the best way to address this is through more open, transparent, and more efficient marketplaces. And it starts with entitlement registry. So, um, and, and Civic Ledger has been tracking very well. Um, um, so, so we think n- not only are our, uh, some of our portfolio companies do, uh, tracking well from a commercial point of view, but also uh, they're solving real tangible social challenges. And that's ultimately uh, what we believe um, is uh, something that we're really proud of and excited about and, and part of the reason why we and, and myself are in this business in the first place. Uh, I mean, I could go on, but... Is, is that, um, is that uh, rationale um, the reason you finally invest in a, in a particular business, that they're solving a problem? Right. So... Um, there's a few ways I'll break that down. So uh, we are in the funds management investments um, 
business. So obviously, we strive to make the, the greatest return possible for our investors. Um, and what that means is that we look for businesses that uh, we believe uh, are solving really drastic um, and, and uh, hopefully transformative challenges, uh, uh, social challenges, I might add, not necessarily technology ones, um, through, and, and we prefer companies that are solving those transformative social challenges through innovative use of technology, something that can hopefully give them a, a bit of a defensive moat or, or, or unique competitive advantage. So I would say that um, in terms of companies that we look for for investment, which we have developed a, a very solid um, methodology, um, um, leveraging the, the hundreds of years of our collective venture investment experience from the team uh, from Silicon Valley, uh, which is that um, I'll basically break it down to the uh, five main points. Uh, we'll be looking for companies that A, are solving for a huge problem, uh, as I said, um, socially transformative, uh, which means that it's addressing a, a, a huge target market. Uh, we want them to have some uniquely competitive advantages, something that's uh, defendable once they get traction. Uh, so that usually involves either technology, uh, unique or in innovative use of technology in a way that they can build those defense modes um, and or channel uh, strategies that, that are uh, unique to them. Um, uh, we, we also look for a very, um, collectively speaking, um, experienced and complementary and passionate uh, uh, management team. So, so they have to okay. love what they yeah. do. Um, and, and so on. And uh, we then would look at things like a, a clear and um, uh, um, credible go-to-market strategy. So how do they use uh, resources, including capital, really efficiently to, you know, not try to boil the ocean, but, but, but also um, have a scalable approach to uh, take market share. And finally, we'll look at the terms of the transaction itself, you know, the company having the right sort of valuation, you know, do the terms have um, sufficient protection for investors or, um, you know, uh, what's a way that we as our team, um, as a Sapien team can add value to them? Is there something that we have that is really complementary to that company that we can unlock greater value at um, and so on? When you make a decision to invest in a particular company, do you does that have to be a unanimous decision with everyone um, around around the table in the room, trying to reach agreement that this is our next investment. So um, let, let me. Uh, the, the short answer is um, generally yes. Uh, we have a number of what we call joint venture funds, where um, uh, Sapien has partnered up with a number of other organisations, usually wealth management. Uh, asset management firms where they manage their clients' money and, and we focus on the investing uh, and, and deal flow curation aspect uh, and deal management uh, post-investment. So um, in those cases with our JV fund partners, definitely it's a, it's got to be a unanimous decision. The, the investment mm -hmm. committee for those funds will be made up 50-50 usually between Sapien team and, and them. Uh, so if we don't reach a unanimous um, uh, investment committee decision, then the deal doesn't happen. Uh, with Sapien's own funds, uh, funds number one and two, 
we have an internal consultative um, process whereby uh, when a deal uh, we uh, collectively decide uh, is worthy of being seriously considered for um, ju detailed due diligence with a view to invest, uh, we would identify what we call our internal deal leader from one of our team members uh, who mm -hmm. need to lead the detailed due diligence exercise, which can run from weeks to several months because uh, we take our work very seriously. We want mm -hmm. to know as many different facets about the business as possible. Um, and then that deal leader will have to basically uh, either dispel issues or, or challenges that others might throw at that deal. Uh, and, and really basically champion that deal uh, to the investment committee. Um, and depending on the strength of uh, that proposition, uh, the, the investment committee would evaluate um, the, the merits or, or the risks of the deal and, and decide accordingly. Uh, we have had uh, deal leaders that have um, strongly championed certain deals where I personally was uh, initially not <laughs> that favorable of, yeah, uh, but through yeah. the sheer strength of their uh, hard work um, and, and um, uh, convincing uh, conviction, uh, you know, we've turned around our, uh, including my own um, uh, doubts or concerns, and we ended up making the investment. Uh, there are also situations where I've been the deal leader on some deals, and, and I had to yeah. go through the same process. and. Um, twisting arms yeah yeah and i think that's a good experience right because it makes you yeah. um, look at more facets of of a particular deal uh more holistically and, and perhaps more um in depth than if one person was able to just say yeah or nay um so so we try to be uh as much as possible uh decision by committee um, the, the one exception, and this is a very, very rare exception, is where a deal is highly competitive and we've got a very, very short time window. We basically need to decide in a matter of days if we, we want to uh, participate right. okay. or not, where there's only a very limited allocation to a really hot deal. Um, generally speaking, we prefer not to uh, to rush it. To rush yeah. our decisions. So, um, but we've made one or two exceptions. Um, if we truly believe that it's a deal that is already well known to us previously and, and an opportunity comes up. But generally speaking, I will say we prefer to take, um, perhaps unfortunate for the entrepreneurs, take our time to really evaluate and solidly understand the deal before we commit or not. Um, and where relevant, we, we're happy to uh, lead the round or, or in some cases even fill out the entire round ourselves. So we've done that a number of times as well, where we, we don't need anyone else to co-participate with us if we believe strongly enough in the deal. And so how do you source your deal flow? I imagine your inbox is flooded with um, a million pitch decks um, coming in to you. Not uh, a million, but to... tens of thousands. No, <laughs> tens of thousands. So how, what methodology do you use to sort of sift through all of that and make sense of it? Uh, that's a really excellent question. So, so this is where you know having a methodology is critically important. We have a uh, a twelve-page internal uh, documentation, which is sort of like uh, gospel internally, which is a sapient uh, investment decisioning process guide. Um, yes. I, I say it's a guide, but but really we we kind of follow it religiously. And this um, 
uh, internal Bible, as I should call it, uh, is really built up on um, collective decades, if not hundreds of years of investment know-how from uh, some of our founding partners, especially the ones from Silicon Valley. Uh, we had four original founding uh, co-founding partners from Silicon Valley, and some of them have been in the business of technology investment for decades prior to the founding of Sapien Ventures. So yeah. we, we leverage that significant experience and, and, and make some tweaks and adaptations to that know-how and come up with our so-called internal Bible. And that Bible looks at you know each of the um, five areas that I just talked about and, and really expands on that, uh, the, including a whole lot of uh, checkboxes and and then uh, related documentation at a uh, more detailed level, including, for example, on the technical due diligence front, uh, if it's a deep tech uh, company, uh, then we have uh, a very detailed technical uh, due diligence questionnaires that can go into hundreds of questions. Um, mm. but, but that's only if it's a deep tech um, company. So uh, we would um, look at our criteria and uh, the, the, the practical um, situation is that it is impossible for our team to respond to every single inbound pitch because just of the sheer volume of them. Okay. Um, yeah. I, as I mentioned, um, um, over the years, I've accumulated, I think, some 70,000 odd uh, inbound <laughs> pitches uh, over the last few years to just to my own inbox um from email from linkedin from twitter um it's humanly impossible to look at them all um and also from our team members it's um a, a multitude of that i think in 2017 we, we did a calculation we were averaging at that time about 2000 inbound pitches a year uh, it's many times that now um so this is where um, practically speaking, I think having a, a warm referral into one of our team members will be very handy just because yeah, you know, okay. it's hard yeah. to, it, it's hard to um, statistically speaking, get around to every single uh, email, especially if they even landing initially in your spam box or, or, or junk box. Um, mm. By the time we get to it, it could be many months later than when they first emailed us. So purely emailing a VC is not the, the, the practically speaking um, best approach. I, I would strongly recommend that um, get access to a reasonably well-known industry um, um, entity or individual um, and ideally someone who you know knows a VC that you're targeting. Uh, get them to, to like your uh, venture and get them to uh, put in a warm word uh, to the, the, your target VC. So um, practically speaking, uh, we would um, rely on our partners, their network, our advisors, and their network. If someone gives us a, a warm ring tray uh, for a particular deal, we would prioritize looking at that first because you know, it, it makes sense. Uh, it's it makes sense, and that's and that's good advice. Tell me, have there you've been doing this for a long time, Victor? Have there been companies or deals that have come past you at a very early stage where, for whatever reason, you've looked at it and thought, you know, that the timing for us was just not right, 
or you missed out or circumstance, whatever it might be, and that and you're looking back now thinking, my goodness, I could have invested in that business on the ground floor and look at it now. Is there are there any moments of uh, serendipity or sliding doors or call it whatever you like mm. where you've you've had a close call like that? Uh, there's two, um, but I won't mention the names of those two. Okay. Um, yes. But let's just say that um, one of them is uh, now a uh, over a billion dollar unicorn. Um, and another was a unicorn, but has since pretty much folded. Uh, so, so with the one that pretty much folded, you know, we we, we kind of are glad that that we dodged the bullet in, in essence. Uh, okay. When uh, that was a US-based uh, fintech, uh, that's all I would say about that particular deal. And it was mm. uh, co-led by the likes of Google Ventures and some other really big corporate um, VCs out of the US. Uh, and mm-hmm. we had a very, very tight timeline to do our DD. Um, and uh, in the end, we just felt that it wasn't sufficient time. And based on what what we could glean in that short time frame, we didn't, we, we felt that, yeah, yeah. We, we, we felt the terms weren't quite right. Um, even though we were sort of wing and eyeing a little bit internally. Um, but with that one, we're kind of glad that we didn't participate in the end because it went up and then came crashing down. Uh, the other one is a uh, is also a, a, a unicorn, uh, and we were approached for their I think seed round or, or Series A uh, several years earlier, and it was uh, it's been invested since by some of the world's largest VCs or, or PE firms, and we do wonder to ourselves, you know, what <laughs> what if we had <laughs> actually one that got away? Yeah. So look, in, in investing, these things are bound to happen. So um, I think it's impossible for any investment firm to to capture them all. Some of the greatest names, the biggest names in venture capital and private equity, have uh, very famously missed some of the best um, investments in the world. Um, you know, you always look at the, the, the likes of um, uh, Union Square Ventures on their missed opportunity with um, Airbnb and, and so, so many examples, right? And, and they're mm. very humble about it. So I think practically speaking, um, given that we, we don't aim to have a huge portfolio, we're, we're actually quite happy with about a couple of dozen uh, or, or even just um, um, about two dozen companies yes. we, we like to uh be more actively involved in the strategy and the direction setting uh of our portfolio companies so, so we prefer to be more hands-on including sitting on the boards and so on and even with um our team um, being very dedicated and conscientious uh we just cannot be that involved in too many companies so um it, it therefore makes sense for us to be highly selective and highly focused uh, we will prefer for a very high percentage of our portfolio of, let's say, two dozen uh, to be successful. So there's this age-old saying that, you know, in VC, if you hit two successful investments out of 10, that's considered pretty good because they mm. should cover, you know, uh, all, all, all your other losses. Uh, yes. We don't really believe in that um, ratio. We, we believe that a, a good or even a great VC should be able to hit at least five out of 10 successful investments with decent returns so that's what we aim for which means that you can't possibly um hit every single winner out there and we don't well, try then, well then 
let's let's talk about some of the success stories and and by that I mean exits uh, and returns uh, to your shareholders. Um, can you uh, can you talk us through whether you've had any um, any exits over uh, the past couple of years? Uh, sure. Uh, well, well, I, I'll, I'll go back to even a, a little bit earlier than that. So, Sapien Fund Number One, which was our first fund, was established in late 2015, uh, yes. and first investment out of that was in early 2016. Uh, within 12 months of our first investment, uh, we had a small partial exit out of our that very first investment uh, to an incoming round of investors uh, at roughly a two x. So, and, and this has set okay. the scene for, you know, uh, a number of our deals. Uh, what we do is that uh, we believe a, a, as a VC, especially if we also participate in follow-on rounds, um, if the company is growing and doing well and the valuation increases in subsequent rounds, uh, we should absolutely uh, take advantage of an opportunity to partially liquidate into a uh, incoming next round at a high valuation and, yes. and do progressive partial liquidations. And this is a strategy that we, we have followed uh, since our founding. So we look for uh, relatively small incremental uh, partial liquidations in this manner with a number of our portfolio companies. So, so the first partial liquidation was actually uh, in, 20, in, in late 2016 itself. Uh, that was about a 2x. It was not very large. It was just in the hundreds of thousands. Um, but we've had partial liquidations of our uh, portfolio companies into later uh, up rounds, what we call, which is an up yes. round basically means that your valuation has grown significantly since when we invested. Uh, and we like to do that, you know, either liquidate 15, 20, sometimes 50% of our holdings at a higher price uh, in a next round, as opposed to wait for the very end uh, acquisition or, or IPO where we uh, go all in liquidation. I think that's a pretty high risk strategy. Uh, in late 2018, uh, early 2019, we, we had a, a $1.65 million liquidation out of a uh, investment, uh, out of a portfolio company, which uh, netted us about 3.7x return. Uh, mm. so, so again, you know, it's not huge in dollar terms, but in percentage terms, that's quite significant for us. And, yep. um, and that was an investment that we held for just about three years. Uh, so we were pretty pleased about that. And, and I should mention that in that particular company, we still hold um, 50% of the shares uh, that, of what we invested. So, uh, you know, if it's a nice, decent up round, we would... Uh, liquidate, let's say, half, so return more than our uh, investment principal to our investors and uh, hold the rest. And that's just basically, hopefully, pure profit. So you mentioned, we were, we were talking off air that uh, well, none of us are flying at the moment. A lot of your job is um, traditionally been spending a lot of time overseas, meeting people, doing deals. So has, has COVID made the life of a VC easier or harder? It's twofold, right? With a lot of things in the world, um, there's this, uh, I would call, duality. Uh, on the one hand, uh, as you rightly, quite rightly say, um, all the way up to uh, the, the, uh, the breakout of, of the pandemic, 
people like myself have been flying across the region, you know, across Asia, across to the US, uh, all over Australia, um, sometimes, uh, if not weekly, then certainly almost monthly. And I fly a lot. Um, I, I've once flown to Shanghai from Sydney just for a lunch to secure a, <laughs> a major investor. And I, hope it was a, I hope it was a good lunch. Uh, we, we got the investment, so I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, um, it's a so, big tick. So, yep. so it was worth it, right? But, but um, you know, th- that just goes to show that, um, you know, um, people like me have had a lot of traveling. Um, and, and especially in some cultures, you know, being able to be present face to face when the other party know that you have made all that effort, came all this way, um, is a uh, demonstration of sincerity and seriousness, which they greatly appreciate. But in the COVID era, um, I will say that people around the world have now resorted to the fact that, hey, there's lockdowns. You physically not, cannot get on a plane in many parts of the world, including Australia at the moment, actually. Um, it, it's practically impossible uh, to fly for, for those type of meetings. So people have come around to the fact that, um, yeah, you're going to have to just virtually fire up the laptop. Yeah. just get on a, uh, either a... Uh, Zoom core or whatever virtual conferencing um, platform. Um, and that has certainly made the logistics a lot easier. And, and yep. uh, I am finding, uh, as many people in my network are finding that actually, you know what, uh, the more venture done. investment business, if you can save on all that commuting, logistical, um, you do become more productive on a month-on-month basis because you can actually meet a lot more people uh, virtually. So, so I think that's been a great blessing from, from, from that regard. Um, now, obviously, the lockdown has um, caused uh, dramatic uh, declines in certain sectors um, in Australia, namely higher education, which we have a portfolio company uh, that is focused on international higher education. So um, they went from 600% a year gross in revenue and student numbers to all of a sudden uh, having a, almost a free for uh, uh, of the cliff in terms of traction uh, through really no fault of their own because uh, international students literally cannot come into the country uh, suddenly. So, um, so COVID is, has made it really, really tough for uh, certain businesses. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do feel for them, and um, um, uh, a, a lot of businesses out there are really, really struggling. Um, so you know, I, I think it is um, up to us to to help guide and advise uh, some of our portfolio companies that are heavily affected uh, to to create innovative uh, solutions to to navigate themselves out of this. So. In the case of um, higher education, for example, look at ways to increase traction in remote delivery of uh, educational content. Um, and, and I think, you know, in, in that particular scenario, that's entirely feasible. Uh, and it is a technology platform, so it's kind of well geared to, to do something like that. So it's not all loss. It just means that we have to very, very drastically pivot on our heels. Um, so, yeah, COVID is... a uh, has been a, a double-edged sword for us. Uh, it makes our logistical traveling uh, life a lot easier, but, but it's caused huge pains in many industry sectors and some of our portfolio companies. We've got time for one more question. I noticed, Victor, that you are a member of the Koretsu Forum. Yes. Can you tell us about what that is, please? 
Sure. So Caretsu Forum Forum is rated by a few uh, research organizations as the world's largest private investors network. Um, it started off as literally a group of angel investors out of Silicon Valley uh, getting together on a sort of a monthly basis for what they call uh, brainstorming or uh, swarm intelligence uh, lunch meetings around how to become better angel investors. Uh, 20 years ago, it was founded in Silicon Valley uh, by a gentleman named uh, Randy Williams um, uh, in, uh, in 2000. Since then, uh, it has grown to have 53 chapters of um, such what I'll call private investor uh, clubs uh, around 26 countries or territories around the world. Um, and um, uh, in the last three years rolling, 2017, 18, and 19, uh, the, the network has been ranked by uh, pitchbook.com, halo.com, and a n- number of other research platforms as uh, the world's most active a- early stage and angel investment platform. And uh, I think uh, six, um, well, on average, six highest in terms of facilitating late stage. Uh, investment deals. So, um, so, so, so the platform or, or the network is very active across continental North America, uh, um, Europe, uh, increasing traction and activity across Asia Pacific. Um, so, when we made an investment into one of our um, Silicon Valley-based uh, fintech companies, um, in this case, Link2. Um, they won a mandate in early 2018 to, to supply the uh, co-investment due diligence sharing uh, technology platform for Caretsu Forum globally. And that's when I got to have a deeper understanding of Caretsu Forum. And I felt that um, it's something that Australasia as a region exactly needed, you know, a, a network, but also a platform to connect to international angel and private investors and deal flow uh, and yet it didn't exist in Australia. So, so I, I um, jumped to the conclusion that uh, we as a country and a region need something like this. So, so I negotiated a deal to uh, license uh, Caretsu Forum to um, Australasia and set up an Australasian chapter in 2018. So we've been running uh, as an Australasian chapter since uh, for, for uh, coming up to a couple of years now. And now we run monthly uh, what we call deals, um, deal presentation forum meetings uh, in the last uh, three, four months virtually. But prior to this, uh, uh, physical face-to-face meetings across Sydney and Melbourne. And the idea is to, to get um, up-and-coming or emerging exciting uh, technology or, or, or just private investment opportunities uh, exposed to not only Australian investors, but particularly the international chapters and international investors, and also bring some of the best uh, and highly recommended deals from around uh, Caretsu's other international chapters uh, to bear to Australian investors. And we've helped a number of companies raise um, significant dollars already in, in the uh, millions. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so, so far, I think um, it's hitting goals and we would love to, to collaborate with more angel private investment uh, groups 
across Australia and the region to, to grow this even more. Victor Zhang from Sapien Ventures, always great to catch up with you, Victor. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us today on VC Land. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.